Today's scriptural reading is from 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 7-12. to 12. For the Spirit of God gave us, does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or about me, his prisoner. But join with me in suffering for the gospel, by the power of God who has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given to us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearance of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. This is why I am suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame, because I know whom I have believed, and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. for many years, so I could probably speak without being... There we are. Now I can hear myself. Uh, Thank you so much for the privilege this morning of uh, being able to come and share with you here. Um, My uh, first contact with VCBC was back in 2007 when Dr. Tony Tom uh, came down and connected with us in Guatemala, and then in 2010, uh, Dr. Henry Liu and his family connected with us. And uh, we've been invited here to share several times. I just counted a great privilege and a great blessing to uh, be a part of this congregation this morning and to be able to share with you uh, a few things the Lord has put on my heart. Um, Over the last 19 years that we've been involved in Guatemala, there have been uh, uh, some things that have been rather difficult and challenging for us. And we know that uh, many of you have been praying for us through these years, and uh, those prayers have sustained us. We're so grateful uh, when, when anyone has it on their heart to be praying for the missions in various parts of the world, and we know that covering extends to us in Guatemala. Um, our first years in Guatemala were rather difficult in some respects. Uh, I remember very clearly... Uh, one day we were, uh, we, we were out in the countryside and suddenly my son, who was nine at the time, got caught up in a stream of water and got pulled into this culvert that was completely submerged under the highway and was swept into this river. And I remember running after this little bubble of his jacket that was above the water thinking, what can I do? And the water was swirling and... I ran across to the other side of the highway to uh, pull him out and it was just, the water was just raging and, and, and he wasn't coming through. And I thought, oh Lord, uh, I, I just remember calling out to the Lord saying, Lord, help us. And uh, uh, that, that, it, it was just an amazing thing because he said he was under the water and he felt the edge of something and he grabbed the culvert just before he went under and his life was spared. And uh, it was one of those moments in, in life that are very, very challenging for you. Uh, for those of you who have perhaps lost a child or been close to losing a child, um, 
as a parent, you would rather lose your own life uh, than see your son uh, pulled, uh, pulled into a swirling water and die. Uh, we had several incidents that were rather difficult for us in the early years. Uh, I remember on one occasion, um, we were bringing a group of people from Guatemala City to Taktik, and uh, on the highway, uh, a vehicle coming towards us lost control and uh, collided with uh, a vehicle full of uh, people. They were actually from New Westminster. And I just saw this all happening in my rearview mirror. Uh, one of our board members from our ministry was in the vehicle with us, and simultaneously we just said, Oh, Lord, help us. Uh, there were two paramedics on that team. When all was said and done, they said, usually when we would see an accident like this, there would be fatalities. And we had one lady with a bruised shoulder. That was it. Um, we just felt that the Lord's hand was upon us uh, so many times um, in those early years. Uh, I remember on another occasion, um, uh, we were traveling through the city. And maybe I shouldn't tell this story because I, I really want to invite you all to come and visit with the short-term missions teams that come our way. I don't want to frighten you in any way, but this is leading up to the passage of Scripture that we just read. And, and I want to tell these stories just to, just to put a little bit of uh, uh, um, uh, circumstances that we've gone through to flesh this out. Um, we were traveling in Guatemala City and uh, my wife and I and another couple and suddenly these two men jumped out with a pistol and they yelled at us. Uh, there were lots of vehicles around and uh, lots of traffic, lots of pedestrians, uh, but nobody intervened for fear of their own lives. And uh, this one gentleman, he pulled out a pistol and he yelled to get my attention. And when I looked, he took his gun out of it, he pulled out his gun and he cocked the gun and he pointed it at me and started walking straight towards me. And that day my wife and I were carjacked and uh, I had heard stories of missionaries going through a similar experience and on that occasion I thought, today is our turn. This is our turn. And... Uh, I had, I had, when we went to Guatemala, I had envisioned some of these difficult circumstances possibly coming our way and wondering how I would react. Wondering what kind of character was actually inside of me because until pressure comes upon us, we don't really know ourselves well. And how would I respond? How would I respond? Uh, as a child, uh, five, six years old, I had grown up in, a, in church and, and I had heard stories of of people being asked to deny their uh, faith and um, men and women who knew the Lord stepped forward and said, I will stand with Jesus. I will die with Jesus. And I thought, am I that kind of a man? Am I that kind of a person? Uh, will I be that kind of a man? I was thinking, uh, just as a young boy, five, six years of age, and here we are, in a, we're in a, circumstances, uh, a circumstance where we were being carjacked and... I, I discovered something that I hadn't known before. And that was that when we come into situations that are almost unfathomable for our, us to imagine or predetermine how would we, we would respond, the presence of the Lord was there with us. 
The presence of the Lord was with us in the middle of that circumstance. And it was a strange peace that permeated that vehicle for my wife and I, realizing this might be our last few moments on this earth. And uh, because we're standing, my wife is here with me, uh, because we're here today, uh, you know how the story ended. We ended alive. And, uh, uh, and that experience, although I, I really don't care to go through it again, I really don't care to go through that kind of an experience again, but that experience gave me something that is precious to me. And that is the certainty that God is present with us in those moments when we least expect that we need Him. Um, I tell you these stories because life hasn't always been easy for us in Guatemala, and we're so grateful for your prayers over all of these years. Um, Looking back uh, to those experiences, I, I think of the passage in Genesis 5, verse 20, where Joseph is commenting to his brothers about the situations that he had gone through. And it's enlightening to read Joseph's response. He says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish now what is being done. What an amazing response to all of these years of hardship that involved slavery and prison and and false accusations. What an amazing response. And I read that and I say, Lord, I want to be a man who responds in that way when circumstances in life don't seem to be going the way I planned. I want to be that kind of a man. Uh, I want to go forward knowing that in moments of great pressure and great trial, you will be there with me. That day that we were in the car and we were being carjacked, uh, uh, and, and, and finally the, they were arguing about what they were going to do with us, which wasn't a good sign. Uh, and uh, uh, they took us out into the country, and all of a sudden they said, get out. And they took off with our vehicle and our passports and everything. Uh, and we were left standing there, and we just put our arms around each other, and we said, we're okay. We're okay. And... Uh, It gave us a sense of purpose in life. Our life could have ended at that moment, but it didn't. God spared us. And because He spared us, it gave us this certainty that He had purposes for us yet to fulfill. Now, uh, uh, I don't want to make more of this than it really was, but it gave me this amazing sense that My life is in His hands until He says it's time for me to go be with Him. And uh, having gone through a number of experiences in Guatemala, there was one occasion where they announced on the radio that they were going to lynch us. I shouldn't tell you these stories because I want you to come and visit us. It's different now. Okay, it's different now. Uh, Join the missions team to Guatemala. We would love to have you. Uh, And and we're fine. We're happier than we've ever been. We'll get to that in just a moment uh, in my preaching here. But there was a time when they announced on the radio that they were going to lynch us. I want to tell you that that announcement triggered a whole chain of events that we could not have imagined or, 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 or crafted ourselves. 
That announcement on the radio, first of all, it wasn't a good day for me when they announced that because I just thought we came to love these Guatemalan people and to serve them and they want to lynch us? They want, and that year there had been 70-some lynchings, by the way, in the country. Uh, a lot has changed in the last 19 years. Uh, and, um, and so this was a real concern for us. But the amazing thing was, the Lord took what the enemy intended for evil and intended for harm, and he turned it into an amazing chain of events where people who had not heard of us before now heard of us on the radio, and they thought, who are those Canadians and what are they doing? And as a result of that, one president of a community, another mayor of a community, another mayor of a community came to us and they said, uh, what are you doing over there in that community? And why did you choose that community? Well, we were building a school and planting a church. Uh, we were, we were disciples. We, we were, uh, this was a Christian school to win these kids for the Lord. And, uh, and so we got to tell our story. And over and over and over again, as a result of that announcement and that threat of being lynched, these mayors and the president of the community, this one community in Mokwan gave us pieces of land. And they said, you, you went there because you had land? Well, we have land. Uh, if we give you land, would you come and start a Christian school in our community? If we give you land, we, our community has no church at all. Would you come and start a discipleship group? Would you start a church? We, we want to hear about Jesus. We know nothing. As a result of this announcement, and, and, and I, I read this, I personalize this verse in uh, Genesis 50, verse 20, and I personalize it, and I say, Satan, what you intended to harm me, God intended for good, to accomplish what is now being done. And listen to what it says, the saving of many lives. Can I tell you that just like us, the enemy has a design on you. And you may be going through difficult, challenging things, but what the enemy intends for harm, we have such an amazing God, he can turn it to good. And what's the purpose? What is our purpose on this life? Our purpose on this life is the saving of many lives. Now, it's Christ who does the saving. It's His act on the cross and His resurrection that brings the salvation. It's our, the faith that we place in what He's done. We, I understand it, it's by His grace that we are His ambassadors. This morning, I want to share with you uh, a few things that I have learned from the new Guatemalan believers. And uh, uh, the new Guatemalan believers... Uh, although we came as missionaries there, we have learned some amazing things from the new Guatemalan believers. But before I go to that, I'll just tell you, all of these circumstances were overwhelming circumstances for us. And my wife and I, we're just ordinary people. We, uh, you know, we go through trials and challenges and, and, and these kinds of things. We're, we're, we're just ordinary people with the same doubts and concerns and fears that... that, that Humanity has that God comes along and in our weakness 
He shows Himself to be strong. Let me just say that 19 years later, we now have 10 Christian schools functioning in that part of the country with uh, 1,575 children in those schools. Many of them are malnourished, and so consequently we're serving 8,000 meals a week. Uh, There are three congregations that have formed of new believers, children going home, sharing the gospel with their parents and their parents coming to Christ. The churches are growing. Guatemala is a ripe harvest field. Uh, Nineteen years later, there's a medical clinic and a sustainability project. But I didn't come here to talk about impact ministries. What I came to share with you is that after this, these chain of events that were very difficult for us and, and we, we, we suffered through some of these things. God always comes and utilizes those experiences to show Himself strong and to build our faith. And this morning, if I can leave anything with you, it's that you can walk out of here with a new sense of encouragement and a new sense of faith in the trustworthiness of God. And as we, as we hear Him speak to us and as we respond, that we can trust the results into His hands. Uh, very quickly, uh, Guatemala uh, is a country that also has come through circumstances, very, very difficult circumstances, uh, a civil war that lasted 36 years, um, and uh, over a quarter of a million people were killed in that civil war or went missing. Uh, Guatemala is a country where malnutrition is just off the charts. There's lots of food in the country, but it's not in the hands of the poor. Uh, lots of unemployment, uh, economic disparity. Uh, here in Canada, we have a large middle class and we have a small upper class and a small lower class. Guatemala isn't like that at all. There's a very small upper class, a very small middle class, and then there are millions of people living on $2 a day. And just living in that subsistence mode of saying, I hope we get enough food to live today. I, I, I hope my kids stay well. And at the end of the day, if, if children go to sleep with their stomachs, uh, some food in their stomachs and their, their health, uh, the parents feel like, okay, this was a good day. And then the next day they start all over again. Uh, it's a country where um, uh, the health, uh, health services aren't really available. There's no educational opportunities in many of the communities. There's a lot of corruption, a lot of injustice. This is the perfect place for the gospel to be shared. And the reason I share that is because when people see their need, their hearts become open to look for God. Uh, Guatemala has a history of spiritual bondage and they're polytheistic and worshipping all of these gods of the sun and god of the rain and and all of these different gods and uh, much witchcraft is practiced there to this day. And in 1976, an earthquake, uh, 7.5 on the Richter scale earthquake hit the country and 22,000 people died in um, the matter of minutes. And uh, 76,000 other people were left homeless. And all of these horrific things have been taking place in this country, uh, many for the hundreds of years, and some of these are more recent in the last 30, 50 years. And uh, what the enemy has meant for evil, God is taking and turning for good. And um, 
my first uh, entrance into Guatemala is, is some 28 years ago. And when I came to the country, I realized I, we would go into these little tiny churches with dirt floor and, and mud walls. And uh, uh, it, it was sweltering hot. And the church would be packed. Packed. And there would be people with their heads in the windows and people with their heads in the back door listening to the presentation of the Gospel. And then when an opportunity to receive Christ was given, it was, it was almost like a mob coming to the front to receive Christ. And I saw this and I thought, uh, my, my short-term missions team was there. They were giving the testimony. And all of a sudden there was this mob of people coming to the front and I thought, their testimony wasn't that great. These are grade 10 students and they were fumbling and they were nervous. But they were there and they were proclaiming truth and their little bit of effort led to a, 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 an incredible response. It was disproportionate to what I was expecting. And I discovered that these people had a hunger and a thirst for God and that these first generation Christians were living in a way that embarrassed me about how I was living as a believer here in North America. And it was very challenging for me because I thought, here they are with such limited opportunities, but their faith is intense. It was almost like you could touch it. You could reach out and touch it. It was palpable. And, and it was very challenging for, the, for me to, to experience that. And to this day, I remain challenged by these first-generation Christians who are coming to Christ in our congregation and some of the decisions that they make. People began flocking to Jesus. And 28 years ago, I went and I asked some of the spiritual leaders in that community, I said, what is it that has caused this, initiated this revival? And the revival has continued, by the way. It's, it's just growing and growing. And uh, um, uh, I asked them, what, what, what is it that initiated this revival? Because I thought, whatever it is that initiated this revival, that is what I need to take back with me to Canada. Because do we need a revival? Yes, we do. We desperately need it. I needed it personally in my own heart and in my own life. That, that joy that comes when, uh, just like David says, the joy of my salvation, that joy of being freed from sin and that awareness that, uh, where the blinders are taken off and all of a sudden we see life through a different perspective, through eternal purposes, through a biblical worldview. All of a sudden our worldview that we have uh, absorbed from our society and from the media. All of a sudden it's being stripped away and we're being given a biblical worldview and it's so refreshing and you say, now I get it. Now I get it. And what had happened to that in me? When I was in Guatemala, I was saying, where did that go? Why did that just kind of fizzle out? Was I still reading my Bible? Yeah, not all that regularly, but I was reading my Bible. Was I trying to live a moral life? Yes, I was. Was I involved in ministry? I was involved in ministry. I was in a Christian school. I was vice principal of a Christian school. I was praying with people every day. But something, something inside of me felt like there's, there's, there's got to be more. And where's that life that I felt when I first came to Christ? And here I was seeing it in these new believers in Guatemala. And I was challenged personally. I was so challenged. 
And I asked the leaders, I said, what is it that has caused this to happen in Guatemala? Uh, just to give you a few statistics. The statistics are kind of boring, but it just kind of paints the picture. Uh, when we came to Guatemala 28 years ago, they said between 25 and 30 percent of the population were born-again, committed evangelical believers. I thought, well, then why are we coming here to do missions? That was my first thought. There's an answer to that. Uh, uh, and now, uh, ab about five years ago, the newspaper came out and it was alarming news. They said, on the front page, it said, by the year 2020, if things continue as they are, 50% of the population will be born-again evangelical Christians. That was on the front page of our national newspaper. And it was alarming because we were right in the middle of an election and they said, what will happen when these born-again evangelical Christians have 50% of the vote? What's going to happen? Things are going to change. Uh, it, was, it was posted as an alarm, but I thought, this is amazing. God is doing something remarkable. And I thought, why? What is it that's causing this? Uh, we are now in 19, uh, 2019. We're one year away from that date. I don't know what the actual statistics are. In our part of the country, we're nowhere near that. We are in a little mountain area. Uh, we're working with the Pocomchi and the Kekchi people. And uh, those percentages aren't there. Uh, still many, many people uh, who haven't heard the gospel or haven't come to accept Christ as their Savior. Many villages that are completely closed. Uh, we had the opportunity a few years ago to go into a village with North Americans. And when we were all done, there was a pastor who had presented the gospel and it was interpreted into the local Pokemchi language. And when it was all done, the community leaders came to us and they said, we have never had a North American in our community ever before. We have never heard words like you just shared, when will you come back? And those words haunt me because there are so many communities like that and we haven't been back. The, 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 the field is ripe for harvest and the workers are few. Uh, but why? Why did this happen? And, and, and I want to share this with you so that we can take something home today and, and perhaps uh, the Word of God can strip away a little bit of our secular worldview. And we all have that. We've all adapted. I love that passage of Scripture that was read uh, you know, this morning. Uh, this transformation process, it continues forever, doesn't it? It continues until we die or until we're resurrected with Christ. And it says in John, then we will be like Him. But until then, there's this transformation process taking place. And, and my heart says, I need to hunger for that transformation process. And not get caught up in a worldview, a secular worldview without Christ. Because that's a trap that I've fallen into too often. So what have I learned from the... Oh, what caused the revival? Now, now this is the part that is a little disturbing. Uh, I, was, I was expecting an answer. I wonder what kind of answer you would expect. What causes a national revival? I was expecting... Uh, well, there was a little prayer group in this little church and these grannies uh, in, their, in their 80s and 90s were praying fervently. That's what I was kind of expecting. Or there were a few men who, who captured God's vision and they boldly went out declaring the gospel. 
That's kind of what I was expecting. That's not what I heard. I'm sure those things were happening. But that's not how they answered the question. You know how they answered the question? This is what they said. They said, Les, our country uh, went through 36 years of civil war. People were being massacred all over the place. Whole villages were being rounded up and shot. And some of those villages are within a stone throw of our community. Some of those massacres happened in our area. He said, and he said, like there was so much uncertainty and instability and violence. There was just violence everywhere. Everybody had experienced death. And they were turning to their pagan religions. They were turning to the religion of the Spanish that they had imposed on them during colonial times. And nothing helped. And there were a few men who were sharing the power of Jesus and the hope we have in Christ. And people started grabbing on to the truth of God. He said, uh, this one man said, he said, in 1976 when the earthquake hit, it was just like, it was just like the thing that tipped the scales. 22,000 people were killed. I said 22. It's actually 23. I have to keep my notes right here in front of me. Otherwise, I go the wrong way. 23,000 people were killed. All of these families were suffering in an agony. 76,000 people were homeless in an instant. Their world changed. And they turned to their witchcraft. They turned to their pagan religions. They turned to the religion of the Spanish. And... It was all empty. But when they heard of Christ and responded to Him and understood how He intended for us to live our lives, and all of a sudden the lights went on. The passage uh, that I love to read is in Romans 5, verse 15. Well, I'm not sure I like this passage. Because there's something in this passage that is a little disturbing. Uh, and if you have your Bibles and you turn with me to Romans uh, chapter 5, maybe you will see the disturbing piece. Beautiful passage of Scripture and we've memorized it and, and we know it well, those of us who have grown up in the churches, but I have one word circled that disturbs me. But I think it's the key for us this morning. I'll read it with you. Romans 5, 1-5. to Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So the birth of Protestant evangelical Christianity happened with this verse. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, and we're justified by faith. An amazing passage of Scripture, and we're familiar with it. It goes on, through whom, so it's Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. That's our position. And we rejoice in hope. Oh, those are nice words. I love that feeling of rejoicing. God is promising me that I can rejoice. God is saying that I can have hope. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, 
but we also rejoice in our suffering. Oh, that's the word that I have circled. Suffering. It's almost a given that we will go through this life with suffering. Because we know suffering produces perseverance. I was praying as a young child saying, God, I want to be that kind of a man. How do we get there? How do we get there? God allows suffering to come into our life and it produces perseverance. And perseverance, character. And character, hope. If there's anything that characterizes the ministry that we're involved in in Guatemala, it's giving children hope. Have you ever seen a child without hope? A child without hope, that is the most discouraging, the most distressing thing to see. A child without hope. I've seen adults without hope. And sometimes I've seen adults without hope because of the wrong decisions they've made and a failure to repent. And they live in that state for the rest of their lives. And we are called to be ambassadors to those kind of people. But what about children without hope? What has that child done to deserve the suffering that he or she has been living through? And many of our children have lived through a lot of suffering. But they have learned to persevere. And as they're introduced to Christ, that perseverance turns into character. And character turns into hope. And hope does not disappoint us. This is amazing. This is a powerful passage of Scripture. Uh, Very quickly, very quickly, what have I learned from our Guatemalan new believers who have gone through this process of suffering, which leads to an, uh, uh, an encounter in Christ and this character and this hope that are unshakable and undeniable. That's what I want. But I'm human and I want it without the suffering. And it doesn't come without suffering. So those of you who are suffering today, for whatever reason, for whatever cause, it might be even our own decisions that are causing us to suffer now. It might be our own disobedience to God in the past that we're suffering now. It might be somebody else's decision or somebody else's disobedience that has brought suffering into our lives. But here's the beautiful piece. What the enemy means to bring us down and discourage us God intends to teach us and to draw us close to Him and make us people who persevere and who have character and who walk with hope. And that's our prayer. So I have learned from our Guatemalan friends, our new believers, to disregard our own dreams and pray for God's desires in my life. I was talking with Rita yesterday and uh, she was saying, I was, she, she grew up in this neighborhood and she said, when I was 10, 11, I was already praying Uh, I wish this was my testimony. This isn't my testimony. She said, I was already praying at that point in time, God, I don't want to follow my own dreams. I want you to take those dreams out of my heart and I want you to put your dreams into my heart. I have learned from our Guatemalan brothers and sisters who are new to the Lord not to chase after my own dreams, but to chase after God's dreams. And that's what they are doing. His purposes. Uh, Not to pursue uh, more possessions. The Guatemalans, uh, they've kind of given up on pursuing possessions. It's out of their reach. But what they do have, they give away for the kingdom. I'm learning that. 
I'll probably be learning that all my life because I grew up in North America and there are some other values that were placed inside of me and, and to let go of them is a process. I've learned that uh, my life, I need to disregard this pursuit of doing things that are safe. Uh, this life is not safe. When we trust Jesus, we find He's true to His promises and we are safe in His hands. Uh, but safety is not our pursuit. Our pursuit is God. They say the safest place for a ship is in the harbor, tied up to the dock. But that's not what ships were made for. There are safe places for us. The world says there are safe places for us. But if we stay there, we're not doing what we made for. I have learned from the Guatemalans not to worry about what others think of me. I'm still learning that. That's a hard one because I was raised in North America. But the new believers, they're not concerned about what others think of them. They're concerned about what Christ thinks of them. And they want to live for Him. And they also realize that just as, as ambassadors of Christ, as ambassadors of Christ, we should expect people to respond to us like they responded to Christ. And how did they respond to Christ? They either loved Him or hated Him. So if you want to get through life without anybody uh, uh, rejecting you or, or, or having negative feelings towards you, then you can't be a Christian. Because those of us who recognize we need Jesus, we're an offense to those who haven't come to that point. And we need to love them and care for them until they come into the truth and God sets them free. Thank you so much uh, for, for hearing God's voice. The fact that you're here this morning tells me a lot about you. And uh, I, I, I love this congregation. I looked through the list on the, uh, on the brochure, the, uh, the handout, the bulletin, and I see so much activity. Let's serve our God with this, with this all-consuming hope and purpose that He has created us for. And let's do it boldly, without regard of what the world thinks. And let's hunger for Him. Let's not hunger for the things that the world hungers for, but let's continue hungering for Him. And when we recognize our own need, and when we go through suffering, that's when we see His power. So let's engage. Let's ask for His power to be released in our lives, in our difficult situations, and in those places where we're feeling pain. Can I pray with you this morning? Let's bow for prayer. Father, thank You so much for each of my brothers and sisters here this morning. Thank You, Lord, that You have taken us out of this world, not because we deserve it, not because we've earned a, a, a special place in, in Your heart, but because You have grace and mercy on us, and you want to see us walk free. You loved us when we weren't very lovable. You loved us when we were still in our sin. And you redeemed us to yourself. And you gave us a purpose for which to live. Father, help us to take away from these passages this whole understanding, Lord, that when we suffer, you have an opportunity to work in our lives. We want to trust you with our lives, with our hearts. We want to trust you with those difficult things. 
so that one day we can say, your power was shown strong through my weakness. In the name of Jesus. Amen.